Salams and welcome everyone. This is Hizamir from Network Reorient, the podcast arm of the Critical Muslim Studies Project. Now, I had settled in, um, or resigned myself, I should say, to watching uh, the Platinum or Tungsten uh, Jubilee of the Queen of the UK. But thankfully, I was saved by such a, uh, from such a boring afternoon by something really interesting that came across my desk. It is another episode of the Forgotten Ummah series where we pick up traces of Muslimness beyond its framing in the usual kind of places in the Islamic, you know, I'm talking about subcontinent, the Middle East, North Africa. And as part of the Critical Muslim Studies Project, um, we have a commitment to connecting the Islamosphere and broadening the examples by which we understand the expression of Muslimness. Okay, so this is the thinking behind the Forgotten Ummah series. So, in this episode, Dr. Baptiste Brodard talks with our usual hosts, uh, Dr. Harun Bashir and Professor Salman Said. Now, Dr. Baptiste obtained his PhD in Religious Studies at the Swiss Centre for Islam and Society and is currently preparing a postdoctoral fellowship at the Universidad Veracruzana, I've probably butchered that, in Mexico, and is also engaged in theological reflection uh, by being associated with the MacGasset Institute in the United States. So today, what he's going to talk to us about is uh, Muslimness in Latin America. Okay? Um, obviously, as always, uh, please rate uh, the episode, please like the episodes. We're available on all good uh, podcast platforms and you can find previous episodes of all of our programs on Network Reorient, In Conversation and Forgotten Ummah on both all of those aforementioned good platforms and on the Critical Muslim Studies Project uh, website, the address of which is www.criticalmuslimstudies.co.uk. Thank you and enjoy. So, Baptiste, would you like to maybe just speak a little a bit about yourself, your background, and what led you to this area of research? Yes, uh... Actually, I was a social worker before, and I wasn't in the academia, but I decided to start a PhD program in Islamic studies and social science uh, a few years ago. And I focused on grassroots organizations provided uh, welfare services. I mean, Muslim associations or NGOs or even mosques doing social work, but in the European context. And I got my PhD uh, about two, two years ago. And then I applied for funding to research about Islam in Latin America, but not just broadly Islam. What I specifically uh, was interested in was the what I call autochthonous or indigenous Muslim communities in Colombia and in Mexico. And this interest arose after a trip to Colombia where I tried to meet Muslims, you know, in different cities. And I found out that in parts of Colombia, there mosques with about 90% or sometimes even 100% of local Muslims, meaning convert or source of COVID. And I found that really interesting and unique in the world, which makes me decide to start this project uh, in a very interesting way. So uh, I started applying for the funding and then uh, I traveled to Colombia, spent time there in Mexico as well, and I try to understand how these Muslim communities developed from nothing, from zero. That, that's why my target actually at the beginning, but in a very intuitive way again. Can, can I ask, Bakris, uh, how, long, how long did you spend out there? Totally, I spent about one year. Uh, I spent uh, most, mo- most of my time in Colombia, a bit less in Mexico, and one month in Brazil as well just to, to check some uh, information uh, to, to have a, a complementary region in what's happening in Brazil. But most of my studies was in Colombia, so I, I did uh, three trips 
of uh, two, three months each. And uh, in Mexico, I've been here three or four times. That's my fourth time now. Also with the aim to meet uh, Muslim communities here. So that, that's quite a short short project, 18-month uh, project land, which um, is a bit short to, to develop to, to, to tackle such a huge issue, but uh, I'm quite happy of the, the results uh, I got so far. Of course, I hope that this uh, kind of studies will be completed by other scholars, inshallah. Uh, thank you, Othis. It's really helpful um, to know why you started doing it and how you came to study this period. Um, as, as, as Harun mentioned at the beginning, um, the idea of um, there being sort of Muslim presence in places outside um, the Middle East, North Africa, South Asia, is, is still, um, you know, it, it is often um, not given enough um, prominence. So I wonder whether you could tell us a little bit about the kind of broader um, state of the Muslim communities in, let's say, in Latin America, um, before we go on to such more the detailed study of the group that you are working with. Yes, the, the first aspect which uh, arose my curiosity about Muslim in Colombia and Mexico is that when you go to many mosques, you find out that most of the people are from here and that migrants compose just a minority of these mosques, of these Muslim congregations. And growing, in, growing up in Europe, I had a very different experience. Uh, being Muslim in Switzerland, being Muslim in France as well, I found out that converts or sons of converts are, are a slight minority. I, I think that's the main difference. Another difference is that we don't expect Muslims or Islam to be found so far away from the so-called Muslim world. Uh, for instance, in Colombia, in very remote areas, you can find Muslim congregations without any migration history, I mean, uh, Muslim migration history, and you wonder just how Islam came there. And that's one of the main assets of this a subject to, 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 to address in uh, Latin America, not uh, broadly in Latin America because you, you have also huge Arab presence in some of the countries, in some of the regions, but the regions are focused where uh, far away from any Islamic influence, yet the Muslims developed very quickly uh, over the last decades and built a kind of a new Muslim identity, which can, we could maybe name that uh, uh, Muslim Latin American identity, which is quite interesting to see how Islam can start from mostly zero, far away from its roots uh, at the, the, the current age, at the modern age. So I think that the, the main... Uh, the, the main... You know, the interesting factors, you, you, you can start to to build up such a reflection on Islam far away from its common area. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's very helpful, Baptiste, um, because one of the things that occurred to me, and we'll talk about this a bit later on, you mentioned quite a lot the influence of the nation of Islam um, initially in, in, in parts of the, uh, the groups you've studied. But one of the things which is very interesting about the um, African-American Muslim presence, for example, as we know historically that between maybe a third of or, or half of those who were kidnapped and enslaved and brought to the what is now the United States were Muslims. But that process was of de- but they were de-Islamicized over the years of the enslavement complex. So when the Nation of Islam comes, um, it's almost like starting from a new it's a very, very different thing. And I was wondering whether you would say there's a similar kind of experience, because obviously, you know, there was a large um, Muslim rebellions, in, 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 for example, in Brazil. Um, there was also, if you're talking about the, um, you know, the enslavement of um, Muslims um, from Africa into the um, Caribbean and into the Latin America, whether there's any traces of those sorts of things in either the kind of constructed memories or even a reference to that kind of heritage among the groups that you found? 
Yes, I, I think you made a very important point to talk about Islam in Latin America because indeed, uh, first of all, my approach is not historical. It's uh, very sociological or ethnographic rather. But yet, uh, as you said, the, for sure there is a huge history behind us. Uh, you mentioned the African-American um, communities in which there were a lot of Muslims, even in Latin America like Brazil, but other countries as well. Uh, the fact is that the last well-known Muslim communities from West Africa taking as slaves to to the Americas, to the South America, was known in Brazil years ago. And as you said, they were desislamized without any trace today of this presence. There are historical traces, but there wasn't any continuity. So it was totally destroyed and removed from them, uh, as you, we know about that as well in the USA context. But what's interesting today is that the people converting to Islam from other gateways, from other reasons, thinking about their identity, thinking about their African origin, they found out that history. They found out that their ancestors may have been Muslim as well. And that plays a, 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 a solid role, an important function for them to relate the Islamic identity indeed. But not only African-American uh, Muslims, uh, also many Latin Muslims, because uh, again, I'm not a historian, but when you, we go back to the the conquista and the the history of the Andalus, and the, we know for sure that many Muslims were deported from Spain, from Andalusia, to the Latin American countries. And also it was taken away from them. They, they were removed from their Islamic identity. But today this history is being discussed and rediscovered by many of them which find common um, aspects in their Latin uh, American identity and Islamic identity, which plays a major role. And the third part of that was the migration of the Ottoman uh, uh, workers from the Ottoman Empire like uh, 100 years ago, and also in some extent, Islam was lost in that process for many of them, but today there is also um, an interest within Muslims as well as non-Muslims to find out what's the Islamic roots uh, within the continents, what's the Islamic evidence in terms of history uh, to show that Islam is not new in the Americas, but was has been here under many forms, and there are many uh, variations f- for a lot of centuries. Some people even speak when we mentioned the, the Sheikh Abdul Abdul Hakim Quick, for instance. He, he talked about that even before the so-called discovery of the America by uh, Columbus. So. There are a lot of historical works. Uh, sometimes the evidence are not easy to find, but what's important for me as a sociologist today is to show that this idea of a common history, of a heritage, is very present among the new Latin American Muslims. So in the Muslim talks, in the, in uh, the debates between Muslims here, that's an idea which always come back to, to, to many of them. That's that's really great. That's very fascinating. I just want to so you're talking now that you know this is just a background and your work is more ethnographic and and sociological. So maybe you could say something a little bit about how you found these uh, communities and why these communities rather than some others. Um, what was the uh, circumstances that led you to discovering these specific communities and why you found them interesting? Well, what. In Colombia, first, uh, I, I began in a very open way to try to find out where the Muslims uh, are and uh, where are Muslim communities, Muslim congregations, and mosques. And it's important to note that you cannot check that just on Google Map or Google or Internet links because a lot of these communities are very restricted. They are small. They are they live in remote areas. You have to spend quite a lot of time in the in the field, as we said, to identify them. And my 
aim was to identify most of these Muslim communities, mostly in Colombia, or I tried all of them, but we never know if they are, if we are, we found out every year there are important changes. And then I wanted to know where they come from, how they get to know about Islam. Uh, is there through migrations in France? Is there through um, the role of transnational Islamic movements, preachers, dawah groups, whatever. So I, I, I began that. What I found out very interesting was in uh, the region of Buena Montura, in the Pacific coast of Colombia, which is well known for having a very important Afri African-American, uh, let's say, African-Colombian community. So the, the skin color of people out there is black and Obviously, they come from uh, African slaves, and they are, have been deported there for many centuries, and they still live in a very deprived uh, condition, lacking from uh, infrastructure, lacking from education, and they, they, they are like marginalized in their own country in Colombia. Uh, yet, you find there that there are uh, Muslims, like a few hundred Muslims in Guanamutura, also a bit less in Cali and in Guapi, which are uh, areas near Guanamutura. And they have been Muslim for more than uh, 60 years, 50 or 60 years. So I wanted to find out how they come to know, they came to know about Islam. And they were, they told me that at that, sta at that stage in the 60s, 1960s, uh, as Guanamutra has a big port, um, they met um, African-American Muslims from the Nation of Islam uh, be, uh, coming there for their work as, uh, you know, through the port activity and so. And so there was no, a, a new Nation of Islam uh, center in Guanamutra at that time, and they began to follow that as a struggle to liberate the, the black men. But after a time, they got a visit from a Muslim, Sunni Muslim from Guyana, which told, told them that it wasn't exactly Islam, that wasn't that way that Islam was supposed to be. And it began to, and then some of the members of the, that new community traveled uh, to other regions of Latin America to meet Muslims and to study about Islam. And finally, they, they, they wrote a lot of letters to the Muslim embassies such as Arabi Saudi and uh, Iran and uh, Egypt and so The only embassy which responded was the uh, Iranian embassy. They sent them books, they sent them a team, a delegation, and they helped them to go to home in Iran to study. So basically, in, in, in a few words, that the, the amazing story of that community, which today is very inclined to Shia Islam, and they have a lot of links to home in Iran. Many of them studied there. And at the same time, they are uh, very influenced by uh, Muslim African-American identity. Uh, they speak a lot of, about uh, Malcolm X, for instance, they speak a lot about uh, political struggle and freedom and the social needs for the people. So you have both influence. In terms of theology, you have this Iranian influence because they had to study Islam at the point and they got that opportunity through Iran. But at the same time, they are very conscious of their ethnicity, of their social condition in Colombia, and they... they make together Islamic identity with their own Afro-Colombian identity to make something new. It's a very specific Muslim Afro-Colombian identity in Colombia now. And it started all from Buenaventura, but now you can find mosques in Cali, in Guapi, in other places with, with the same people. I think that's one, that's one of the gateway of the coming the only gateway, but it was the, the first one. So uh, that's a, an example, I think, and there are a few other examples about how Islam came to Colombia. And it's amazing to see that Islam came by many ways at the same time, four, five, six influences, and that makes the, the patchwork of Islamic presence of Colombia today, which is very plural. You have a lot of uh, denominations, you have a lot of uh, 
transnational movements trying to make them, um, uh, trying to find their place and trying to to, to find legitimacy to teach Islam and to spread Islam for new converts today. So, I mean, that segues quite nicely into the next question, Baptiste, because, I, you know, you mentioned a number of different gateways, and obviously that's one of them, and you also kind of spoke about uh, historical memory and the development of a kind of Latin Islamic identity. Um, but I wonder if you could speak briefly about some of the other gateways. I mean, what, what are the reasons and justifications that people gave um, in, in some of these communities in Colombia for turning to Islam? Uh, because as you mentioned, you know, using... The words you use, I think, from zero, from nothing to, you know, this, this kind of uh, indigenous community of Muslims, uh, I think, as you refer to it. Yes, the, the other gateways, uh, well, the Guadalajara the case is unique and that's the first gateway. It is historically because it started in the 60s. But then you have the, the migrants from uh, Lebanese migrants, mostly coming uh, to Colombia, to the north part of Colombia in the six, uh, sorry, in the seventies or eighties, they created a big mosque in Michael, which is close to the Venezuelan border. And of course, there was an influence, and they succeed to convert a few other Colombian Muslims. But um, that said, this Lebanese community out there was very, is still very close to, to themselves. So it, it doesn't see necessarily from a good eyes. The fact that Muslims, uh, that Colombian become Muslims, still it's it, it, it built uh, a few mosques. Of course, Muslims uh, mosques are open to uh, every Muslim, and uh, local Muslim, local Colombian began to get interest, uh, looking at these people, looking at these like they call Arabs and. Uh, Muslims trying to know about their faith. That's the second key, uh, gateway, we can say. The third one is the arrival of new, new migrants these last years, especially since uh, the, the uh, 2000s, um, from Pakistan, from Arab countries, from West Africa. They, they try to found Allah to continue to practice Islam. And the fact that the, these people meet uh, local uh, autochthonous people, let's say, in their daily life, um, made Islam spread out, actually, also. Um, the fourth gateway is a more proactive uh, role of external, or let's say, foreigner Muslim organizations coming specifically to Latin America for Dawa purpose. So there was the IRA, there was the one position, others, which came and still are still coming here uh, this year to try to spread Islam. So they, they have a clear strategy, they have agenda, they have many means, and they set up mosques, and they really try in an active way to spread Islam here. That's the maybe the fourth gateways we can speak. The fifth one is the return of many Latin Americans from the USA, and some of these people knew about Islam in the U.S., mostly in prisons, but not necessarily in prisons. And where they got deported and where, where, when they had to come back to Colombia and Mexico, they continued to practice Islam and they tried to gather and to set up uh, new Muslim congregations, or they just joined the mosques that are existing. So that's amazing to, to, to see that there are like these five, Gates working at the same time and communicating to each other, of course, because they, they cross each other. But then you can understand how Islam came, came mostly from zero and how it develops itself, how it builds its own new identity here and how it creates uh, many Muslim uh, congregations and mosques related to transnational movements. Because you find today the Salafi, Sufi, many kinds of Sufi Turuk, or uh, diverse Salafi orientations, or Shia groups, or even Ahmadi groups. And uh, that's really amazing that within a very small or restricted Muslim population, you find mostly whatever current or ideological, theological influence you found in the Muslim world of today. 
And just on that point, Baptiste, you said that it's a relatively small community. In terms of numbers, how many, uh, you know, how big is the Muslim community in Colombia? It's very difficult to estimate that because they, they are not statistics. They are very uh, controversial numbers. Some would say 5,000 Muslims in the whole country. Others would say 50,000. It's very difficult to estimate because many people convert and they if they even do that online and I... I it's very difficult to trace them to know who they are. And also many Muslims leave Islam. So they, they have a Muslim experience for one, two, three years, and then they they think it's not for the life. But what I found more relevant is to count the number of Muslim congregations, or let's say mosques, musalla, in, in the country. And in uh, Colombia, you find about 20 or 25 mosques. It depends on the year, because in 2020 and 2021, uh, I, I found out it, it, the, the number increased, but sometimes it declines also, because it depends on funding, it depends on the, the group's dynamics, and so But my approach to estimate the importance of Islam in those countries would be to repertoriate every musalla, every masjid, uh, or Muslim congregations in the country, and count who is going there to pray in the daily prayer of the Jumu'ah prayer. And then we have the idea of who is actively participating within the Muslim community. That said, there are a lot of people who are Muslims here, but they stay home and they pray from home and they they mostly live their faith online. Uh, I mean, they contact uh, the Muslim life is mostly by online contacts for some of them which makes very difficult to estimate that. In, in Mexico, there is the same problem. You find out people saying there are 5,000 Muslims, others saying that there are like 60,000 Muslims, which is not very uh, accurate, you know. Okay. But this is really helpful, um, really, really interesting. I was just wondering, um, you talked about um, the five gateways and you talked about the sort of range of Muslim experiences and, and some of that's comes across the numbers between 5,000 to 50,000 or people being Muslims online um, rather than through, um, you know, through going to the um, Juma, etc. I just want to ask you a little bit more about the kind of um, influence of the different kind of ideologies on this Muslim group, because in a previous answer, you mentioned the um, role of, uh, for example, you mentioned the iconography of Malcolm X circulating or the role of um, rebellion. And, and a lot of these are associated, obviously, with the Nation of Islam initially and, and, and seeing how that works as, as something that a very disparate group, because you talk often about the, the heterogeneous character, these five gateways almost lead to five different uh, iterations of Muslimness, five different manifestations. So the question really is that: Do the, is there some sort of ideological um, overarching narrative that links them together, or allows them to um, speak to each other, or how does that work? What is the influence of things like um, the ideology of Islam in relation to, let's say, the Nation of Islam's versions, or things like from? Um, uh, the question about resistances and rebellions and all of these sorts of things. That's, that, that's a crucial question. That's not easy to answer, like uh, in a very broad, uh, general way, from for both uh, Colombia and Mexico. Because of course, it depends on the cases. It depends on the regions, the cities, and so. But uh, that said, we can say <laughs> the the what I said about the gateways. Uh, I think it's interesting to understand the origins and background and genesis of the Muslim presence in this of these countries. But today there's there there are different dynamics as well. For instance, we know that the Afro uh, Afro Colombian Muslim community from the Pacific Coast in Colombia was created by through let's say through the nation uh, nation of Islam influence. But today there is no track of this uh, heritage except the figure of Malcolm X, which was in the uh, NOI at the end of his life. And the, the people all know out there, uh, the African, uh, Afro-Colombian Muslims all reject the NOI narratives. Uh, 
according to what I have observed. Yet they, and now they embraced the, the Shia Islam from Iran, yet they are very sensitive of that idea of a struggle of justice uh, for their own people, but also for the other oppressed people. Uh, and here I would say that most of, a, of this influence is political, because in terms of theology, they they joined the Iranian uh, Judaism and uh, Shiism. That said, also that uh, they studied in Qom, they came back to Colombia, but you find them very open to Sunni brothers as well, because they say we are not Iranian. We studied in Iran, we follow that Islam because we, we believe that this Shi'i uh, path is the correct path, but that said, we have very good contact with the Sunni, and we develop our own Islamic understanding according to our living context. And that's very important to understand the the link between um, the groups, because all these separations, divisions between Islamic uh, denominations didn't come from Colombia and Mexico. It it was somehow imported from. The, the Muslim world, it, it, it was put here by people, preachers, belong to, belonging to various uh, Islamic denominations. But the local people, they, of course, they need a way to learn Islam and they need to follow uh, a sheikh or to follow imams or whoever has legitimacy to teach Islam. That's why they were influenced somehow by these diverse denominations. But later on, they realized, okay, that's not Islam, that's one aspect of Islam, and we are not uh, here to follow a Pakistani or Egyptian group. So there is kind of a, a madness you will find much more in, in Colombia and Mexico than in other countries, although they are still influenced by these uh, divisions between, between denominations. But let me say very shortly, the best case you can find is in Chiapas. Uh, the Chiapas is a region in Mexico. It's a state in the south of Mexico. And out there you have a town called uh, San Cristobal de las Casas. And you have five mosques in that town today. Uh, for, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. And it's the main, uh, you know, the main spot where, where you, when you want to talk about native uh, Muslim presence in Latin America, they will always rise this example. You have many um, many articles about that. You, you have TV shows talking about that. I, I'm sure you heard about that Chapas uh, case. And out there today, you have five groups, more than five groups actually, but five official groups. One is uh, uh, Murabitun. The second one is so-called uh, mainstream Sunni, but other call them Salafi because they are inclined to this uh, Salafi methodology, let's say. The third one is um, managed by a sheikh coming from Syria, which is Sufi, but he, he is very traditionalist. He follows uh, uh, the Ba'alawi from Yemen, from uh, Habib Omar, for instance. And so uh, the fourth group is um, Ahmadi, and the fifth one is Suleymanji from Turkey. And if you look at all these groups, it was brought by external preachers to teach Islam to the local people. Because in that town, uh, 95% are from uh, Tzotzil ethnicity. They are native, real indigenous people who converted to Islam. Uh, There were up to 800 people who converted to Islam, but today we can estimate them at only... 200 because uh, 75% left Islam within the last years. And it's amazing because you have five groups coming from external or foreigner uh, Islamic uh, ideologies and they compete for illegitimacy. And that's a very sad example of division among Muslims you can have. That That said, you will find that local people reject those differences. Muslims from there, many of them, they say, we want Islam. We, we don't want to argue for these kind of differences. So they expect a local Islam to, 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 to arose. They, they want uh, a, a new way to, to live Islam far away from these ideological uh, distinctions and oppositions. 
So let's see what happens in the next years. Now, what you described, though, is a sort of common phenomenon in a sense that uh, most places in most times when Muslims talk about being Muslim, they don't make those kinds of um, distinctions. Um, they only make distinctions when they're called upon to make those distinctions. So this would be the case, um, not just in um, the Muslim diasporic communities, but also in parts of Muslimstan. So I think it's interesting that you have this struggle over Muslimness, what it particularly means. And it's kind of interesting what you were saying about, you've often referred to them as new Muslims and the idea of um, what would a new Muslim, how would a new Muslim be different from a, a notion of a universal Muslimness? And I wonder whether when you, when you sort of, when, when you talk to your, um, you know, to your informants, um, what ideas they had of what it means to be a Muslim and how does one be a Muslim and how did that? How would they distinguish that from what uh, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, kind of classical or orientalist ethnography may describe as the idea of this kind of uh, a specific form that Muslimness should take, um, a sort of Arabocentric form or or something like that. So, what do they think being a Muslim means, and how would you say they think that's different from? other forms of Muslimness? Well, I, I, I think that, uh, first of it, um, many of these new Muslims are first dependent from foreigners, from foreign uh, organizations or preachers uh, at their first years of, uh, after the conversion. They look to understand Islam, they want to study. Many people try to go abroad, but also to go abroad, they need to be affiliated either to the uh, Suleymanji, if they want to go to Turkey, for instance, or other go to um, Indonesia, and so. But they need a link. They need to study with some people, and these people come from other countries, and they are there mostly for for dawah, let's say. That's a first step. But then I realize. Well, sorry, sorry about this. Um, are there any who would go to, for example, quite established Muslim communities? In, in the United States, for example, or other parts of the Western Hemisphere? Or do they actually themselves want to only go to uh, places in, in the Eastern Hemisphere? Um, mostly, the, the, all, all our mates are going either to Latin American countries where there are uh, a more, uh, Islamic school, like Panama, there is a Tablir Islamic Madrasa. Uh, some are going there because it's nearby. Other went to Argentina, where there is a, a center, a Shia center to, to teach imams. But Where is that in Argentina? Sorry, Baptiste, do you know where that is in Argentina? Is it, uh, which part of Buenos Aires that might be? It, it's in Buenos Aires, but I have never been there myself. Uh, it, it's a big center. A lot, a lot of Shia Muslims from here, from Colombia and Mexico, have been there to study. Uh, they were sent there. But then they, when they wanted to complete, the, these people, Shia, went to Qom, mostly in Iran, but others are just inclined to go to Muslim countries. Uh, I haven't met any case of Muslims going to the UK or, or to USA. Yes, they are in France from the US because a lot of people have migrated there and they were deported or, or they just had to come back by their will. And there are links mostly online. But uh, the ones who are going to study... Within traditional madrasa, for instance, many are going to Turkey. Uh, I met others who went to Saudi before, to uh, Medina. Uh, I met a few who went to Indonesia. And they, they are just looking for any opportunity. Uh, th that's the, the first part of the, the question. But then I realized that many Muslims leave Islam after a few years or a few months. And others stay Muslims, but maybe in a different ways. And my aim was to understand why so many leave Islam after having known the, the, the Islamic belief and so on. And why some people are able to, to continue their Islamic life, but maybe with a more local identity. And I found out that, that one of the conditions of survival uh, for Muslims in Latin America includes to adapt to the local context and to decide and to be conscious to have a legitimacy to be Muslim and Latino at the same time and not to be dependent from 
outsiders or from foreigners, Islamic denominations or organizations. And uh, you, when you see that in uh, one community, one specific town, you have such local strong Islamic presence and local leaders, you'll find that people are more inclined to, to keep the Islamic faith. And in the other case, when you interview ex-Muslims, many of them would say, oh, it's not for us. It's for Arabs. It's for Pakistanis. We are not uh, that. It's not our culture. It's not possible to be, to be Muslims. But so would I, that, yes? sorry, sorry, I just want to ask you there. Would that be very different than the phenomenon found elsewhere in far, uh, other parts of the world? Because when you're talking about the formation of a community without, let's say, precedent or without a specific precedent, then some of these tensions would always occur. So the idea of the a Latino Muslimness um, is something you would say is kind of emergent and therefore it would always be um, contested a week. But I would imagine that this would be the same process happening in, in, in parts of Asia or parts of Africa where you would have this kind of Muslim communities being formed and then dissolving and then being reformed until they reach some kind of critical um, mass or critical, um, critical connectiveness, which allows them to sustain themselves. So uh, would this kind of, uh, that would include both local adaptions and local transformations of the local. So wouldn't that be, the, are you seeing a similar kind of process? Yeah, indeed, I, I think that the uh, process uh, or logics you can find in many places uh, in the world. For instance, last year I had to to teach in Cape Town uh, in like these uh, so-called colored townships, and th there was a debate about uh, so-called black uh, people coming to Islam, converted to Islam, and they they said we we cannot be considered as Malay Muslims and Indian Muslims and. We are outsiders. So I think that's a, a very similar problematic issue you find in other places, like, like I said, in Cape Town here. But in Latin America, for me, it was even more interesting to observe because here there are a majority within the Muslim population, which is not the case at all in Europe. You know, in France, you have similar issues, but converts or sons of converts are maybe a few percentage, a few persons. In Switzerland, but, in the UK, I think that's the same. And here, yeah, at the beginning of Islam, that would always be the case. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, if you click the countries like what are countries like Iraq or Iran, um, you would have found the same phenomenon in a sense that majority wasn't for the first three hundred years. Muslims were hardly a majority in oh, most. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that I'm saying to you is that that phenomenon. I can see what you're talking about. But I wonder where that phenomenon is about transformation and the processes of collective transformation um, rather than something specific to the um, Latin American case, because in a way it does describe this. Um, so when you compare Europe to Latin America, perhaps what we should be comparing is um, early periods of transformation or reversion um, or conversion, then geographically it's to do with where they are uh, where where they are at the stage of that process rather than where are they are in relation to geography yes uh, i think of course uh, we can even take the examples very ancient examples of indonesia and so and other countries and see how islam was adapted and and i don't like to say islam was adapted because uh, I, I think that's that the problem, of course, is not about Islam, as Islam implies a universal message. So Islam basically it can take it, it can take form in any kind of culture and civilization. It will uh, thereby modify some of the aspects, but not a lot of the cultural aspects. But I think the idea, uh, the the root of this issue, is a wrong understanding of Islam, and let's. Let's take maybe very concrete examples. When going back to Colombia, you have um, Egyptian or Pakistani preachers, and when they come to teach Islam, the way they teach Islam is very linked to, to, to the way they learned, of course. And it includes a lot of 
emphasize on clothing or, you know, even in the kind of food, even in the way people eat, uh, what they cook and how they dress and how they ask people to dress, you feel this cultural influence, which is nothing to do with Islam. It's just an imported uh, way to, uh, I mean, imported way of living Islam from somewhere. And I think the root of the problem is here is about mixing up the priorities, fundamental or main principles of Islam with details which have a lot to do with cultures and people with time, they are very, very aware of that, especially with the clothes or the food. And they said, well, we, we accept the fundamentals of Islam, but it doesn't mean that I have to speak Urdu. It doesn't mean that I have to dress like that. Still, at the beginning, they, they tend to do that. They try to imitate. And when they try to imitate, it creates in, among many of them a conflict of identity, kind of a shame. And somehow, some of the people, they even talked about a new kind of colonization. They say, oh, no, there were the Catholics coming here with their values, with their way of life, and now we are expected to be Pakistanis. You know, the people who are very pissed off, they talked in that sense. But then the fact that in the same communities you had people going far away or here study Islam and they say, okay, actually the, the main core of the Islamic message is not about that. So you can be Colombian and totally Colombian and totally Muslim. There is no contradictions. And these local leaders can show the way to be a Muslim without having to imitate a foreign culture. And as you said, you witness that in a lot of countries. It's not specific to Latin America. Uh, I think just Latin America in 2022, it, it gives more evidence to observe this phenomenon on a daily basis because it's very strong here. Uh, as in Europe, you, the fact that you are more in a minority now, if you are a convert or European background, uh, Muslim from uh, the west part of Europe, let's say, um, doesn't you you can feel common experience, but not totally the same. I don't know if you you get what I'm trying to say. No, I, I think we, we do. I think the issue here is this that um, there's a whole range of how to be what it means to be Muslimness, uh, what it means to be a Muslim, and I think. What you're describing is 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 one set and some of the challenges on that. Um, the question really is that um, whether that is specific to this experience or it's more general. And and I think the the, the question about how one expresses their Muslimness and what becomes uh, considered is always going to be mobile. And I think what I would what we would be concerned yes. about would be the idea that there is a there is some kind of um, authentic. Muslimness uh, anywhere, and whereas actually the work of Muslimness is always constantly working towards a horizon rather than somewhere which is already found and located. And I think that is the kind of difference, it's the kind of open endedness. And when you talk about, like you do, about you know, uh, preachers from outside, and like you said, they express their own experiences, they express their own ways of being in a way. But ultimately, the, we, the ways of being are always, always going to be overtaken by the, um, the kind of quality of Muslimness, which cannot be reduced to any yes. particular authentic manifestation. And I think you're very, very right that this study that you're undertaking in a, is really, really very fascinating for some of the reasons you've said. I think it's illuminating um, to see this part of the Muslim Ummah where people don't, may not, many people may not know that this is a part of the Muslim Ummah. And then also the potential for uh, a Latin, uh, Latino or Muslim experience or Latino Muslimness to actually um, feed back into Muslim, uh, to sort of Muslimness and to expand the generic uh, examples, the diet of examples by which humans can be Muslims. So I think that's really very, very enriching. And Baptiste, um, just as a question to wrap up, um, I'd be interested to know how uh, some of the, uh, you know, some of the conversations in some of these communities, do they, do they kind of see themselves as part of a broader ummah? Um, do they kind of link up 
in their minds, when they discuss these things, they kind of see themselves as distinctly, you know, you mentioned a kind of Latin Islamic identity, but they also see themselves as part of a, a kind of larger transnational uh, ummah. Is that something that that has kind of come up in your conversations? Yeah, I, I think more broadly they, they look at themselves as a part of the global ummah and they, they feel very in line with the brothers coming from um, different Muslim countries or even non-Muslim countries uh, of the West. They, they really feel this Islamic identity, identity is the, the main identity they have, uh, which is in contradiction with the Latin uh, identity as well. But they express a lot of uh, desire to meet Muslims from other countries, even from the U.S. or from Brazil or from uh, Morocco or from uh, India, wherever it is. And it, it's very important that the, the idea of Islamic Ummah uh, shows the, the fact that they understand Islam as a unique way. And diversity that they witness in the in their daily life when going to the mosque doesn't um, go to contradiction with the the main idea of uh, unicity. And that's very uh, common in all the observations that I made. So I, I think that even the, the diversity you witness among a lot of uh, various Muslim preachers and Muslim organizations uh, going there to do dawah, Actually, it, it even sustained the idea of unicity. Because when you have too much diversity, then the people sense the feeling of the, the common uh, aspects among them. So they, they found, oh, yes, there are a lot of ways to be Muslim. But actually, there is one Quran. We follow all the prophets, Muhammad, وسلم, and we, we are on the same line at the end of the day. And the, too much diversity helps people to understand that the preacher from outside is not the real Islam. And that Islam can be belonged or can be followed, let's say, by everybody. I, I, I think that it, it, it looks like a paradox, but sometimes too many diversities help this understanding of unity because it's emphasized on the common aspects. And no, that's yes? that, Sorry, but this is a wonderful... Um, way of putting it that, you know, diversity actually guarantees universality in a sense of universalism. And I think that's really fantastic. And I think it comes across there. Baptiste, this has been really, really wonderful. Um, if people want to get in touch with your work or know more about it, is there something that you, uh, where they can find it or find out more, um, more details on the work that you're doing? Actually, right now I'm, I'm writing and working on the publication, uh, first in Spanish and French, but lately, inshallah, it will be in English as well, I hope. But I think we'll have to wait for a few months. But in the meantime, I'm happy to be contacted by email. and It's just my name, uh, baptist.broda at gmail.com. So uh, they can find that in, in Google with my name. And uh, I'm very happy to talk about these topics and to share the data information uh, I got from the field research and to, to hear from the feedback as well. Oh, that's great. Baptiste, thank you so much. It's been really thank wonderful you. talking to you. Thank you. Um, thank you. And, you know, and uh, to get, illuminate part of the forgotten Numa. That we, uh, so it's been really great. And uh, I'm very happy to be with you. And uh, thanks to our listeners and to, to, to you, Dr. Haroun, and to Professor Sayed as well. This is an episode of Forgotten Ummah, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of the Critical Muslim Studies Project. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.